Biz News Power Hour. A warm welcome to you. It is Tuesday, the 7th of December, and you are with the Biz News team for your Hour of Power. Well, it might be heading towards the middle of December, but there's no shortage of news at the moment, certainly on the Biz News um, community, on our various platforms. Lots of discussions about mandatory vaccines. Should they happen? Shouldn't they happen? Uh, There is plenty to go and read about there. You've almost got as much in the comments, uh, commentary underneath the stories as there are in the stories themselves, but that's keeping everybody entertained and occupied. Coming up in the program tonight, after we've spoken with our, or or rather uh, got the feedback from the uh, Financial Times of London, our partner in the UK, we will then be hearing from Stephen Nathan, the founder of 10X and uh, formerly top-rated analyst on the JSC. And after that, uh, Justin Rowe Roberts has been busy today talking to, amongst others, Sean Pesh, a South African who lives in London. Actually, has been there for 20 years. I visited him. Justin, when we were over there, uh, he's married to a doctor. So uh, hopefully the two of them, him and his wife, Marilyn, will come back to South Africa at some point in time. But he's certainly a great value from the vantage point that he has in London. And uh, you had a good chat with him today. Always great to chat with Sean. He he gives a global perspective. He's an ex-South African who runs his own asset management firm in the UK. He looks at American companies and companies specifically on the London Stock Exchange. He's really bullish on the UK going forward. He is skeptical on China, however, and he says that South African investors must bear caution when it comes to the likes of Naspers and Process. And talking about that, you had an interview with... Uh, well, on the subject of Tencent, which is the reason why NicePass has had such a good ride for so long, a Chinese company reversing the flow, investing in a South African operation. Tell us about that. Very exciting. One of the challenger banks, Time Bank, their CEO, Tarek Kieran, he joins me and we talk about their latest funding round, which includes Tencent taking a 70 million rand punt on Time Bank over worth over 1 billion rand how that money is going to be used for their uh, expansion in South Africa and their overall expansion. Interestingly, Alec, he does say that they are starting to eat the lunch of the traditional banks in South Africa, and he says that there's a lot more stuff to come out of this space in the next few years. Isn't that interesting? We have, uh, when you spoke to Corky Koyman about his uh, best stock for 2022, he was looking at Capitec, who are definitely eating the lunch of its competitors. And now the challenger banks like Time Bank, with that $70 million that uh, the Chinese are going to be putting, or Tencent is going to be putting in, makes them even better capitalized, even better positioned to continue on that quest. Exactly. I do think Capitec acts as one of these challenger banks in in the sense that they've been very fintech-driven. This is a global theme that's occurring with a lot of the challenger banks overseas. And from what Corky says is that Capitec, given their uh, technology-driven approach, still can take up a lot of market share. Interesting interviews coming up, and that's a little later in the program. We'll also be hearing from our colleague, Linda von Tilburg, who's usually based in the UK as well, but is out here in South Africa at the moment. She's got a a very interesting uh, story that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. So stay with us for the next 60 minutes. Uh, Kicking off first, though, with the markets. Rightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Nadia Swatch has got the news headlines for us today. Nadia? Investigations into the irregular 150 million rand digital vibes contract have so far yielded little results as only 12 million rand has been repaid by those who benefited illegally. According to the Special Investigating Unit, approximately 22 million rand is contained in several bank accounts resulting from cash flows from the Digital Vibes Nedbank account. On Tuesday, SIU head advocate Andy Matibi and his senior management presented their investigations into the procurement of COVID-19 personal protective equipment and other related matters to Parliament's finance watchdog, Scopa. Matibi told the committee that on the 17th of June 2021, 
the Special Tribunal granted the SIU an interim preservation order or interdict against Digital Vibes and 11 others for just over 22 million rand. He said, however, that thus far the SIU had only received just over 12 million rand from or on behalf of some of the respondents. As many travel restrictions remain in place, President Saul Ramaphosa has again slammed the Global North's attitude towards Southern African countries, saying that the calls he received after the bans were condescending and disrespectful. Ramaphosa noted that calls from Europe were effectively one way, with leaders telling him that the bans would remain in effect and that there was no option to give South Africa's accounts of events or make a case. While these countries make assurances about partnerships, he said that the travel bans show otherwise. The president said that European countries do not offer the same level of respect given to them. Parliament will decide on Tuesday whether or not the constitution should be amended to allow for land expropriation without compensation. The proposal to change the constitution was adopted three years ago, but the actual process needs to be accepted by a two-thirds majority in Parliament to take effect. Opposition parties have already stated that they will not support the motion, questioning whether the ANC will be able to gather enough support to execute its plans. The main question will be whether the wording of the change can appease the EFF, which has been at loggerheads with the ruling party. Justin, back to you for the market report. Thanks, Nards. The JSE All Share Index was strongly up at 72,600. In the currency markets, the rand was slightly weaker against all the major currencies, to 15 rand 97 cents to the dollar, 21 rand 16 cents to the pound, and 17 rand 95 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,782 an ounce. A Kruger rand will cost you around 30,000 rand. Brent crude is up at $75.10 a barrel, and Bitcoin is trading around the 800,000 rand level. In the financial news, Time Bank, the emerging lender backed by Patrice Mosepe's African Rambo Capital, said it has completed a $180 million Series B capital raise with Chinese tech giant Tencent and CDC Group, the UK's development finance institution, becoming new shareholders. Series B refers to a funding round after the initial capital raising for a startup, and in February, Time raised $110 million from private equity firm Apis Partners and JJ Holdings, which is one of the largest conglomerates in the Philippines. The $70 million from Tencent and CDC will enable Time Bank to use its digital infrastructure to accelerate the rollout of financial services to Time Bank's historic mass market customer base, African Rainbow Capital Investments said in a statement. This daily market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Today is Tuesday, December 7th. This is your FT News Briefing. There's a rally in the UK and EU markets for carbon allowances. Plus, academics want more data to find out further about the social harms that Facebook may be causing. But Facebook won't always cough it up. And as one academic said to me, the most shocking thing that came out of Francis Haugen's revelations were how much Facebook is able to hide. We'll talk about this with the FT's European technology correspondent, Matamita Mergia. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. Carbon allowances traded on UK and EU markets were near a record high of more than £75 per tonne last week. The rally is due in part to the renewed focus on emissions after the big UN climate summit in Glasgow. The global energy crunch is also pushing up prices. Europe's gas shortage is prompting some energy producers to switch to coal, so they need to buy more allowances to offset the extra emissions they're creating. Prices have become so high, a mechanism has kicked in requiring UK lawmakers to decide whether they should intervene. The government says it'll make that decision by next Tuesday. A group of Rohingya refugees from Myanmar filed a lawsuit against Facebook yesterday in U.S. court. They're accusing the social media company of failing to act against anti-Rohingya hate speech on Facebook that ended up fueling real violence in the region. This lawsuit comes as Facebook is already facing a torrent of criticism about the harm its sites may be causing, ranging from violence to teen anxiety. Revelations by whistleblower Francis Haugen showed how much Facebook knows about these harms, and academics are trying to find out more. But our European technology correspondent, Madomita Mergia, has found that researchers are struggling to access the data they need. She joins me now to talk more. Hi, Madu. Hi. Hi there. 
So, Maru, how did you come across this story? Yeah, so um, I had been reporting around, you know, Francis Haugen's revelations. And in the course of that, had spoken to a few different researchers, both academic, which means, you know, sort of university affiliated, as well as researchers who are part of civil society groups, um, you know, people, advocacy groups like Algorithm Watch or Global Witness. Um, and in a lot of cases, the things that came up again and again was these independent researchers felt that independent and, you know, civil society affiliated researchers felt that they just didn't have the access and the transparency to be able to conduct any real research and to gain any deep understanding of actually what was going on on the Facebook platform. And so what it meant was that everybody was sort of beholden to Facebook to A, do the research and then B, to communicate externally what that research had found. And as one academic said to me, Emma Bryant, she said, you know, the most shocking thing that came out of Frances Haugen's revelations were how much Facebook is able to hide. And, you know, this brings up a question of whether researchers or academics actually have a right to this data. You know, Facebook is a private company. Do they have to release this? What's the relationship they have with researchers? Yeah, um, you know, you're right. It's complicated. It is a private platform and th th there is no current regulation that would require them to do this. Um, but it really comes down to social responsibility. And I think for a long time now, since since the 2016 election, um, since the revelations from Cambridge Analytica, which was you know, this um, controversy where a political consultancy was able to access the Facebook data of millions of users. These controversies have shown that there are harms being facilitated, if not sort of perpetrated by how content moves around on Facebook's platforms. And because it's such a huge scale at which this happens, you know, billions of people are touched by these algorithms, billions of people are using Facebook and Instagram, it becomes a matter of public health, really. And this becomes a question that sociologists, psychologists, political scientists, all types of researchers want to answer these questions and understand more. Now, has Facebook acknowledged the problem and has it responded to the complaints by researchers? Yeah, so I think Facebook, having spoken to them, do accept that they need to have academic research being done in the space of misinformation, for example, political manipulation. They fund research in these areas. They haven't been sort of resisting it openly. And so, yes, they, they do provide certain levels of access. Um, they have an API that they've just released, which means it's a way for researchers to plug in and access certain types of data. Um, so they have been trying to do this, but the allegations really have been they still control a lot of the process and make it really difficult for, for academics to answer the questions they want. So it's just basically them deciding what data to provide and them deciding what questions can be answered. Um, so rather than it being kind of a free flow exchange of ideas, academics feel restricted. Now, to be clear, Madhu, right now there's there's really nothing anyone can do to force Facebook to, to hand over data, right? No, unless the, the there's a mandated access. And if that access is not given, there's some sort of consequence, then really nothing will change. But I think it's much clearer to everybody now that there is a need for independent research. Um, it, you know, that th there is regulation now being written both in Europe and being proposed in the US as well to mandate access to researchers. Marumita Mergia is the FT's European technology correspondent. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you. And before we go, the former head of Nissan has turned into a bit of a backseat driver. Carlos Ghosn was once one of the most famous CEOs in Japan after he revived the ailing car company. But his fame eventually crumbled and he ended up escaping Japan in late 2019 in a musical equipment box, fleeing charges of financial misconduct. Now he lives in exile in Lebanon and he issues tirades over Zoom against Nissan's management. In a recent one, he called the company's multi-billion dollar plan to take on Tesla with electric vehicles visionless. But investors may agree. Shares have fallen more than 7% since Nissan announced the plan last week. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.
no one just buys a car. You may go to a dealership and consider all your options available in one place. Maybe I'll get a family sedan and customize it just the way I want it. I'm looking for safety features like airbags for the family, of course. So why should investing be any different? Glacier by Sunlam's investment platform offers you the widest choice of local and global funds from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunlam Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers. Stephen Nathan, good to be seeing you again. There's a heck of a lot going on in the news at the moment. Let's start off with the most controversial subject, and it, it certainly is when you have a look at what the business tribe are consuming, to do with mandatory vaccines. Now, the, today we heard that MTN are going to be mandating vaccines, and I guess if you feel that strongly about it and you're in, you think that uh, vaccines should not or jabs shouldn't be forced on you, you might move your account across. Is this something that investors should be paying any attention to? I think investors are paying close attention to vaccine rates uh, and and the potential for mandatory vaccinations, I guess, starting with the government. Um, but I think, Alec, that uh, uh, the, the evidence shows that uh, countries with higher vaccine rates, higher vaccination rates, uh, have had better economic uh, progress. They've recovered quickly. Um, much quicker than countries with low vaccination rates. And generally, they're doing better. A lot of these countries, their GDP is higher than uh, than what it was before before COVID. So I think in general, the investors would say that the higher vaccination rates, whether it's driven by government or by the private sector, is better because it uh, it is linked to stronger economic growth. And that's much better for, uh, for companies, uh, their, their, their profits. Um, at a company level, uh, within a company, you've got different stakeholders. So, um, you know, if you look at, you know, are you protecting your staff or are you protecting your customers? And if you've got happy staff, hopefully you'll have happy, happy customers. I think you're right to say that if someone's strongly against vaccinations, then they might say, and I'm an MTN customer, I might say, well, I'm not happy with that. I'm going to move to, let's say, uh, Vodacom or Celsi. But I think at the same token, if Vodacom and Celsi don't enforce that, then people that are strongly pro-vaccination rates, vaccinations might say, well, I'm going to move away from them because, you know, the company doesn't reflect my personal views and, you know, I might go the other way. Um, So I think there will be some customers who do that, but I think that they'll probably balance each other out. I don't think there'll be any material swing one way or the other. And I do think that more uh, businesses will go into the uh, mandatory vaccination uh, camp. It is interesting on a broader perspective with Omicron when it first came out because it is so uh, easy to pass it on and also to pass it on to vaccinated or previously vaccinated people that the stock market took a bit of a knock. Uh, there was a flight to quality. The, the dollar was strong. We saw the rand going way above 16 against the dollar. But now that it appears as though, yes, it might be uh, more easily transmissible, but it does seem to be uh, less or lower mortality or less serious illness from it, that the markets are picking up their head again. Is this a, a rational response? Well, it's difficult to you know to understand you know the markets because the markets also take a very short term view, and it's often that you want to you know if you're going to panic, panic first, and when you do see some negative news, you know like a new variant that could you know result in. Uh, you know, lockdowns and then, you know, less, less travel and less, you know, uh, uh, commerce globally, then you're going to see a potential negative reaction. But I think it's very, it's very short term. And I think markets are, um, a little bit concerned as they should be because prices are at elevated levels, valuations are at elevated levels. So a lot of good news is in the market. And then when you get a negative surprise in a good market, uh, there's more room to react on the downside. And there's other concerns in you know, inflation. The global supply chain, I think, has been something that has been uh, um, underplayed and under and 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 sort of not as well understood by central banks. I think this issue of you know is inflation more permanent uh, or temporary? I think a lot of the central banks have said it's temporary, and it seems to be that it's actually not temporary. There's a 
you know, there is some kind of structural change going on with uh, inflation because of supply chain pressures. So there's, you know, you're just putting some more negative news in a frothy market. But as you said, the market did go down and now it seems to be uh, recovering because uh, the variant seems like there's probably some good news coming out of it because although it's more contagious, uh, the hospitalization rate you know, is dramatically lower. So this could be a good sign uh, for, you know, for us uh, defeating the virus at some, some future point. So how are you seeing the the way this is all going to play out into the future, given what you said a moment ago, that the market has been, the investment markets, that is, frothy uh, of late? Uh, well, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the stock markets tend to be forward-looking indicators. So the stock market normally says, well, you know, it's normally pricing in what's going to happen in 12 uh, to 18 months' time. I mean, that's generally what happens. So so there's often a disconnect between what we call the real economy, the way we feel things at the moment, versus what the stock market as a forward-looking indicator. But the stock market has really been buoyant, and I think it's you know it surprised the vast majority of people how well it has done. Although it has been concentrated, you know, quite narrow, narrow, narrowly in the tech, uh, the tech sector. But you know, we've seen that other sectors have subsequently benefited. So I think there's a lot of good news in the stock market. Uh, and I think that uh, we've all got to temper our return expectations going forward. You know, I tend to be a longer term investor, you know, and, you know, what I'd say is if you look at the, the next 10 years of returns compared to the last 10 years in the global equity market and the global bond market, where you've had phenomenal returns, you've had bond yields fall. So you've had good returns in, in bond markets and you've had you know phenomenal returns from stock markets. I think it's highly unlikely you're going to see that the next 10 years uh, or as good as the last 10 years. And that doesn't mean you're not going to get decent returns, but I think there's a lot of you know, expectations are very, very uh, high. And I think there's more room to disappoint than to surprise on the upside. So stock picking is going to be a, a skill that will be highly prized uh, if you have a more difficult stock market. Listen, stock picking is always a highly prized skill. And, 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 and kind of uh, the important thing is to get the sectors right. Because if you got sort of like the, you know like the tech sector right, you know, and then we're talking about you know pl- platform companies, big software providers, you know, that's the call you've got to make right. You know, whether you get, you know, doesn't matter whether you pick the the, you know, you don't have to get the very best one. But if you picked, you know, like the automotive sector as an example, uh, you know, uh, then doesn't matter if you pick the best company, you would have you would have done poorly. So what's really important is to try and get the sectors the sectors right. Uh, but that's also easier, you know, it's always easier said than done. And once again, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a more sort of cautious investor. So I would go for the diversified, uh, you know, balanced, uh, balanced view because it's very difficult to see who those individual winners uh, and losers are going to be. And then it tends to be very narrowly concentrated as well. You know, there's a, there's a handful of companies that do well. And it's interesting if you look at a South African context. I mean, Richmond has done so well this year. You know, it's kind of pulled the market, you know, not quite single-handedly, but it's had an enormous impact, you know, and in, over the last few years, Nuspes would have done that, but it hasn't done that. You know, it's been an underperformer. And, you know, it's a lot of people would say, well, if Nuspes underperforms, you know, all you've got to get right in South Africa is, is, is the Nuspes call, you know, and it never plays out quite as simply as that. Talking about Nuspes, uh, we do know that the way that Nuspes' share price has risen is due to the investment that was made around the turn of the century in a company called Tencent, which is now one of the world's internet giants, Tencent is, seems to be repaying the favor by investing today more than a billion rand in a South African business, Time Bank. Yes, the Time Bank, uh, uh, you know, it's a phenomenal success story. It's been around a while, and it's, I think it's only in the last sort of three years, you know, that's really uh, got its business model correct, and it's got, got explosive growth, and it's somewhere between three and four million accounts that have been opened they're not all active but it's still an incredible achievement and their technology i've actually i'm actually one of their clients alec i was so interested in this technology and trying to open a bank account and it's it really is uh incredible you can do it just with a your phone and your id that's all you need the technology is amazing you know and the big banks uh with their legacy systems are so far behind so they've got great technology um 
they've 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 done as you say a sizable capital raising uh, it started earlier this year where they bought on some international shareholders uh, and this this round of funding which is almost 3 billion rand that they are raising uh, is for primarily expansion into the philippines so it's not so much a south african play they're taking their technology to expand into the philippines which has about 110 million people it's also a developing uh, market with sort of a low uh, low income low incomes but the difference between the philippines and south africa is that there's a much larger unbanked population in the philippines because they haven't got a formal banking sector like we have in south africa so uh, there's a lot more potential for them to acquire customers first-time banking customers using that technology uh, and that's a very exciting opportunity for someone like a 10 cent that uh, 10 cents what's interesting about 10 cents 10 cent is that they're a big investor in new technologies uh, which is a bit of a conflict with what nuspace is doing and process because they're trying to do the same thing um, so it's not not only a uh, process that's trying to diversify away from Tencent. Tencent's core business is trying to diversify away. Uh, and they are one of the biggest investors in venture capital globally, uh, you know, right up there with the big VC companies. And it's fantastic to see that uh, Time Bank has attracted their attention and, and other foreign investors and was able to raise, uh, as I say, up to 3 billion rand. How does business empower our nation? By bringing produce to our tables, giving us technology that connects us, hospitals that care for us, and the tools that shape our cities. And by backing the next generation of business owners. That's why South Africa banks on business, business banks on us. Standard Bank, it can be. Standard Bank is an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. I'm Justin Roberts of BizNews, and with me today is Time Bank CEO, Tarek Karan. Tarek, Time Bank has just recently completed a capital raise with investments from Tencent and CDC Group. Between the two, investing over 1 billion rand. Simply, what does this mean for Time Bank? Very exciting times. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Justin. I agree with you. It's a, it's a momentous occasion, right? Not, not only for Time Bank, the conviction that people have in our business model, our performance, our strategy, but also for the banking sector, right? It's, it's, it's affirmation that the banking sector is safe, secure, it's growing, and there are areas of it that are innovating. Um, so, so this is exciting for us. It's the conclusion of a quite an extended series B raise, um, which, which, uh, has ultimately concluded on a total amount of, uh, of 180 million USD. Tarek, will you be looking to harness the expertise of the likes of Tencent and what they have to offer? And will NASPIS and Process Management or Associates be able to help you on your growth journey? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Justin. Um, th- the reality is that investors of this magnitude, uh, uh, pedigree and track record have massive networks and have massive expertise. You know, I've I've, I've come to learn, Justin, that you just simply cannot study everything in the world, right? There's just more data over the last 12 months that there's been in the history of the existence of Earth. So the best way to learn is to actually study companies and then to start drawing parallels. And, and what better place to study and, and to gain those insights than from, than from investors of, of, of the scale. So <clears throat> CDC has a stated strategy. Uh, to invest in infrastructure, including digital infrastructure that will allow it to reach um, underserved communities. And because what we've built at Time Bank uh, is a completely scalable digital bank that services all segments, all demographics, and is able to service low-income segments very profitably, um, that, whilst I cannot speak for our new investors, certainly from my experience of the process, that's been an appeal, and I think that's knowledge that we will harness. On the 10 cent side of things, well, I think we're all familiar with that business, right? They, they, they are one of the world's leading fintech investors, one of the biggest companies in the world. So they have all these experiences, uh, not only in digital businesses, but in digital banks as well more recently. So that expertise, that ability to connect us with networks is, is, is invaluable over and above the capital. 
Let's quickly take a step back. How was 2021 with specific focus on performance and growth? Yeah, you know, even if I take a step back, you know, year prior COVID, you know, we, we were on the verge of, of scaling our unsecured lending with, with alternative uh, credit scoring, powering, uh, powering that proposition. <clears throat> we had just concluded a significant deal with the Zion Christian Church uh, the month before level five lockdown started. Um, and as a leadership team, we had to pivot. Uh, and we had to demonstrate a, a level of resilience um, that we previously didn't need to. <clears throat> now, I think that translated very well. So, yes, it's true that we would have benefited from this um, global phenomenon that you see, which is this organic digital adoption. So, last year's financial financial results, we hit all our targets, including our revenue targets. Um, we're still in the J-curve, building up towards break-even. Um, and so there's more of what we're currently doing that's going to get us there. But importantly, diversification into other product lines. Our partnership now with, with TFG, the Fushini Group, is going to be really important uh, to getting us there. How important is scale to a business like Time Banks? <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a really insightful question. So... You know, we, we continuously, as a startup digital business, we continually find ourselves having to manage this fine balance between impatience for scale and impatience for profitability. Um, and the two things are not mutually exclusive, right? Um, but I think that if you look at the diversity of shareholders around the cap table now, um, it's bringing that diversity of thought and perspective uh, and so I'm happy with where that balance is. <clears throat> Scale is critically important, Justin. You know, like any digital business, whether you are a mobile network operator or a e-commerce business or a digital bank for that matter, you really set up for scale from day one. In other words, you have this cost base that you hopefully through a modern data and technology stack will keep under control, which we certainly do. But now you need to hurdle that. And the only way in which you can do that is, is through scale. So you've got to get that balance. Right? I'd say it's absolutely crucial to our success. You've raised a lot of money through this new round of funding. What's the money going to be used for? Yeah, two things. So, so the first is um, about 30% of it. You know, There's always a level of flexibility here, but, but about 30% of it will be carved out for global expansion through Time Global. Um, the initial market we identified uh, as the first um, foreign jurisdiction outside of South Africa is the Philippines. We've been issued with one of six digital banking licenses there, and we've been building the bank. And that the build of that bank has been accelerated because of the learnings we've had in South Africa. So that deployment's going well, um, and we're looking at launching in about Q3 next year. But that needs to be funded. So, so that's, that's one component. Locally in South Africa, uh, we've largely been in market with savings and transactional banking. Um, that proposition has been getting richer and richer with time. It's becoming fuller and fuller with time. And we've been making it a better experience for customers. Um, to the extent that the proposition you see in market now is almost irrecognizable of what we had when we launched two and a half years ago. So that's, that, that'll continue, right? You don't just build a, a bank once. You continuously rebuild the bank, so to speak. The other area, Justin, is um, new product development. So I mentioned buy now, pay later, more time, uh, which is really important to us. We've seen that phenomena take real grip. Um, in other jurisdictions, we just saw uh, a couple of months ago, um, uh, the, the Australian, uh, buy now, pay later business after pay getting bought by Stripe in, in what was almost a half a trillion rand transaction. That's one fintech buying another fintech. So, uh, but scale is absolutely critical there. And whilst we've recently launched buy now, pay later, we have to onboard, uh, a lot more merchants to extend our, uh, merchant acceptance network. So that's one area of growth that needs to be funded. Another area of growth is that we're getting into other products like um, a very exciting health insurance product. 
that will be coming to market first half next year. Um, we'll also be getting into an interest-free salary advance product. We need to build distribution channels for that. That needs to be funded. And then the opportunity with TFG is massively exciting and it's enormous, right? So TFG not only have over a million loyalty customers, right? Uh, they have a very mature uh, financial services business and they have a growing, rapidly growing e-commerce business. Um, we're also looking to double our physical footprint. So in other words, our kiosk footprint that we have through the ZCC uh, pick and pay in boxer currently through TFG. Um, so this is massive expansion, both in the physical and in the digital worlds, and that needs to be funded. So, so I think a combination of sort of international expansion through the Philippines with a richer product set and new partnerships in South Africa uh, is, is what that money is earmarked for. We've seen fintech and challenger banks all over the world competing competitively against the traditional banks. When are we going to see the likes of Time Bank and Bank Zero and our local challenger banks really start to affect the bottom line or the top line rather of the traditional banks in South Africa? It takes a while to, to establish trust in the market, right? Um, now, it is true that South Africa is now largely banked uh, primarily because of the way we handle um, SASA grant recipients. But for the most part, you're in the multi-bank game. So you're getting customers from the other banks to, to your point. I think that it's already happening, Justin. Even though it's, it's uh, perhaps at a small scale for now, but I think these challenger organizations are gnawing away at different parts of the value chain, at that customer experience and what the big incumbents sort of obsess about, which is customer ownership. I believe there's no such concept, by the way. So, so I think it's happening, and I think it's a scale game, and it won't be long before you see it translate into actual financial impact. South Africa's economic GDP figures came out earlier today for the third quarter, much worse than expected. Banks traditionally, their performance are proxies to the economies in which they operated. How challenging is the environment right now? Yeah, Justin, quite frankly, I mean, the, the, the economic circumstances breaks my heart, right? Um, it's, it's really tough out there for consumers, for small businesses, as we all know. Um, and you are right that banks' performances are closely correlated, um, with macros. However, uh, as a challenger bank, I think things are very different, um, because your growth trajectory is, is, is very different and you can, hone your business in a way into segments that are that are less affected. Now, that's what we do, but also we've built a business model and an operating model that's fully translatable across segments um, and, in, and in a profitable way as well. I'm Justin Roberts of Biz News, and with me is Ranmore Fund Management founder, Sean Pesh. Sean, it's felt like an age since we last spoke. There's been so many interesting developments in the last few weeks, a lot on the inflation story and the numbers coming from that and the actions or words rather of the Fed in the last few weeks. Is this the single biggest risk to markets at the moment or are there other risks such as Omicron and the rest of the COVID variants that might emerge in the coming weeks? Well, Justin, very good to speak to you and devastated here from a zero degrees in, in the UK that I can't be out with our families in South Africa over Christmas. But anyway, that's uh, unfortunately the situation. So lots uh, lots has happened. And if, I thought it would be interesting just to have a look at um, 2020. So there's a chap, and, and I'd encourage your, your listeners to go and have a look at this. But there's a, there's a gentleman called Byron Ween. And Byron Ween is the chairman of uh, the Apollo Advisory Group. So that's, uh, sorry, Blackstone Advisory Group. Um, and, and he is... Every year, he puts out Byron's 10 surprises for the year, and he's been doing it since 1986. And what he basically does is he puts out 10 surprises that to everybody just seem ridiculous, and there's just no ways that is going to happen. But he's obviously been successful enough, and that so often what is, what is unexpected happens that he still does it some 25 years later, okay? Um, uh, sorry, 35 years later. Anyway, uh, so, so let's just take a look back and say what 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 did he say were his surprises? Was going to be his surprises in at the end of last year? I mean, he said 
that the economy would develop uh, there and sorry eight about eight or seven or eight of them are market related and some are other other things like president trump would start his own television network but the success of five and ten vaccines would allow the U.S. to return some form of normal. That's largely happened, okay? The Justice economy uh, Department softens its case against Google and Facebook. Well, that hasn't happened. The economy develops momentum on its own and depressed hospitality and airline stocks become strong performers. Well, you know, at the end of last year, the GDP growth was negative 1%. It's currently 9.7%. So I'd give them half a mark for that because hospitality and airline stocks haven't recovered. Um, unemployment falls to 5%. It was 6.7. It's now 4%. I'd give them a mark there. Uh, Federal Reserve and Treasury embrace modern monetary authority. Give them a mark there. Oil price would recover to $65. At the time, it was 48. It's currently 71. You know, 65 felt a long way from 48. So you get some mark there. A risk on the S&P trades at 4,500 later in the year. At the time, S&P was 3,800. Gets a mark there. The surge in economic growth causes the Treasury yield to rise 2%. It was less than one. I would give them half a mark. The slide in the dollar turns around. Well, the dollar is up um, 7% since then. So I actually score him 75%. And that's and that's quite amazing. And so, you know, and those were all things that just at the time felt miles away. Um, and so if I, you know, just to, to spur some debates, I've come up with what I think are my 10 surprises. And let's and let's look at those. A COVID fades into irrelevance. I think this Omicron, you know, I think that could actually fade into irrelevance. And this is last, I mean, a few days ago, I wrote my fact sheet about Pfizer. Uh, but some of the data that's coming out about how mild it is and how it's uh, spreading faster than the Delta, maybe it fades into irrelevance. And that gives the Fed excuse to raise rates. So the Fed funds rate was 1.75% pre-COVID. It's now 0.25. Well, what happens if now there's an excuse to raise rates and it just goes back to one? Seems like a long way. Doesn't seem unreasonable. Um, here's the controversial one. The tech basket falls 30%. Okay. Now, I mean, sure, your listeners are you know, those ones who are still listening. But just think about this. Apple's 2.7 trillion. Microsoft's market cap's 2.5 trillion. Amazon 1.7, Google 2, Tesla 1, you know, those few companies together add up to $10 trillion. And just five years ago, the thought of a trillion dollar company was quite something. And you've seen Amazon's earnings fell last quarter. So, I mean, who needs, if, if the world economy opens up, if COVID's no longer an issue, well, we're not going to be spending money on tech. We want to go traveling. We want to go to restaurants. So we'll just wait. We don't need to refresh our iPhones. So, I think the tech basket could easily fall 30%. Um, value smashes growth by 30%. Okay, they're both up 17% year to date. So there's no difference. Amazon's flat. Deutsche Bank's beaten Amazon this year. All right. Um, small caps beat large caps. Small caps are up 12% year to date. Large caps are up 18. I think next year, small caps absolutely destroy large caps. All the money, that $10 trillion, if stuff starts to, if people start to scurry out of tech stocks, that $10 trillion has to find a home. And that's not going to go to zero, but even if you get half a trillion dollars moving out, um, you know, that's going to move the small caps. Europe beats the U.S., Who's thinking out there that the Europe is going to beat U.S.? Well, Europe's only up 8.7. The U.S. is up 21. This is this this year. But for next year, I think Europe beats the U.S. I think Bitcoin bites the dust and falls 50. Uh, I think inflation actually falls because COVID fears dissipate. Some of these other commodity prices start to soften. And now that everybody has, is talking about inflation rising and the Fed's taken away transitory uh, inflation, I think, uh, could fall. The dollar falls 10% and oil price hits $100. So those would be my surprise, my 10 surprises for next year. Um, and I think the lesson that we should all learn from Byron's experiences over the last 35 years is that, is that the unexpected happens. So expect the unexpected. And if you sitting in tech stocks and think that last year's, next year is going to be just like last year, well, you never know. You could be in for a nasty surprise. Sean, I think a lot of the surprises that you mentioned can be passed into the valuation talk. I know that's something that you're passionate about, so let's uh, focus on it for a second. Sean, these are the cleverest guys on Wall Street. We get companies like Rivian that haven't produced a vehicle, yet demand a higher valuation than a British-American tobacco. If we just step away from it for a second, take all the investment analysis out, 
how that could possibly work from a logical perspective, how Rivian demands a higher valuation than a company like a British American Tobacco. Are people like me and you crazy or is the world just being turned upside down? What is happening right now? Well, it's been rampant speculation and that is that is uh, a result of very low interest rates and it's a case of you know what it's like you go to a dinner party and you're hearing about everybody else making all the money on bitcoin and eventually you succumb to the greed and uh, so that's what's been happening and it's always looking for the next story so we miss tesla great well here's another company rivian and then you get merchant bankers taking advantage of that you've got derivatives so you've got people sitting at home new entrants in the market they buying geared products in the form of options um, and and off you go. Uh, and so I think it's largely greed. But then what happens? I mean, you know, let's just see who the casualties are. I mean, the market's only down a few percent from its highs, but people are wrongly positioned, including hedge funds. You know, you look at the Goldman Sachs VIP index and some of the names in there. I don't even know what some of half of those companies do. Um, and yet these are some of the, the most widely owned companies uh, by some of the largest hedge funds in the world. And so you know, the, the problem is it's, it's in the chase to get performance fees. It's in the chase to do better than everybody else. Greed drives it and greed has been facilitated by lower rates. But as soon as the party ends and, uh, and then you look down, I mean, you saw a company DocuSign fell 42% the other day, DocuSign. So, yes, great product, you know, that you can sign agreements electronically. But what's to stop Microsoft doing that or Adobe or Google or any of these 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 companies? But it's still worth 27 billion after falling 42 percent. So this is what happens when you have low rates. But um, the party is ending for many of those companies, Peloton and Zoom and a lot of those stories that were last year's stories. Um, we still, people are still holding Zoom meetings, people are still pedaling on their Peloton bikes, but the prices ran too far. And so at the end of the day, it's what does a company earn and what is it worth? And that's what we're going to fall back to. And that's why I think a lot of these tech companies, they're great companies, but the prices are just too high and everybody owns them. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's what I think is going to drive it. And sorry, importantly, Justin, conditions are not improving for these companies. You know, Apple has warned its suppliers that things are slowing down. Amazon reported negative earnings last quarter. And when conditions deteriorate, prices fall. It's that simple. Sean, the S&P 500 for the last three consecutive years has increased by around 25% to 30%. In the last 50 years, there's only been one period of four consecutive years of double-digit growth. Are you saying that this party has to come to an end soon? And if we have to be honest and take a step back, these indices have been increasing only just on the fact that the big large cap stocks have kept on increasing. There is a lot of pain underneath those big large tech names. There is, there is indeed. And if you look at um, on some of the charting packages, you can find advanced decline ratios and you look at the, the number of stocks that are advancing compared to the number of stocks that are declining. You know, the number of stocks that are declining, there's a lot of pain under there. Um, underneath the hood. And so, um, yeah, it would not surprise me. I mean, of course, the problem is after three consecutive years of double digit returns, you become complacent and you think next year is going to be just the same. And it's at that point when um, when it's actually quite the opposite. And so how many strategists out there are saying Europe's going to beat uh, the US next year? I, I don't know. I mean, probably not many. Um, and, uh, and that's what I always find so, so fascinating about Byron's 10 surprises. Um, and so position yourself for position. So in terms of positioning for next year, just say, right, well, how's my portfolio at the moment? What what happens if I'm wrong and and how am I going to get hurt? I mean, you, you know, you look back to you look at the Rand last year. What did the Rand do? Went from 14 to 19. How many people when it was 19 were saying that the Rand was going to fall back to below 15? Very few. And so it's really quite an important thing to just stand back and go, what happens if my portfolio, you know, what, under what conditions would my portfolio do badly? And if I am full of tech companies and growth companies, uh, you know, you, you're only positioned for one outcome. And if the other outcome eventuates, well, then you're in trouble. No one just makes a meal for a special occasion. You may go online or to that really fancy daily on the corner. And look at all the different options available in one place. Maybe I'll make a risotto and I'll make it really special with some truffles, extra parmesan and chili oil on the side. So why should investing be any different? 
Glacier by Sunlamps Investment Platform offers you the widest choice of local and global funds from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunlam Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers. There's a lovely story from Bloberg Strand about George Ponche Penny from Kailicha in Cape Town, who's been selling ice creams on the beach for four decades. And he is known as Uncle George of um, George in the Bloberg Strand area. And he struck up a special friendship with a local resident of the area, Michelle Nell. And we've got Michelle joining us today to tell us about her decision to crowdfund for George's pension. So, Michelle, can you fill us on the background? I mean, how, what, what is the story of Uncle George or do the locals call him Wim George? Yeah, Uncle George, Wim George, depending on whether you're Afrikaans or English. Um, yeah, it's funny. I've been living in Bloberg Strand for over 10 years now. And, you know, you can't help but notice um, a person that works with the dedication that George does, especially because he's an older gentleman and we see him every other day, even when it's cold days, selling ice creams. And um, and then you start to wonder, you know, like what is his story and where is he from? Um, I started chatting to him about almost a year ago, just like trying to find out more about his background, where he's from. And um, eventually because of the language barrier, he wrote down his story in Kosa, um, a little bit illegible. I tried to put it in Google Translate <laughs> and <laughs> When you change one letter, it changes the whole meaning of the sentence. I didn't, yeah, it was difficult to, to translate it. Eventually, I took it to a family friend that speaks Kosa, and she translated, Lucy translated some of it. Um, and what I understood was, like, he's been selling ice creams for over 40 years in Bloberg. Sure. Yeah. So, and when I chatted to him, he said, like, he's coming from Kalicha every day. It was so interesting for me to see someone travel so far and, you know, selling an ice cream with, with the 10 rand sign on his on his bicycle. For me, it was like, I, I couldn't make sense. Like, how is he even paying the fares if he's not selling enough ice creams in a day, you know? And, um, but... But nonetheless, he, he's always here. <laughs> so um, after understanding that he's traveling every day from Kalicha and, you know, selling ice creams for like 10, 15 rand, I thought, you know, what is he going to do when he when he can't sell ice creams anymore and he's pushing his bike, he's not riding it anymore because of his age. Um, so I found it, you know, quite interesting, the dedication and contentment with which he still continued to do to you know work every day um so i asked him what is it about Bloberg that you love so much i said the beach like the people you love the people in the community and obviously it was a it's a reciprocal relationship because the people of Bloberg so so fond of george i mean if you've read the comments on the back of buddy page um after starting the fundraiser everyone has the most amazing story um and interactions that they've had with him tell us when he actually pitched up at your house one night you said Yes, so he never knew where I was staying, and after getting his story and everything, um, you know, as life goes, you you forget and you kind of go on. And um, and I still had this pressing feeling like I need to help this man somehow. Somehow we can all come together to help him. And I kind of forgot about him, and he showed up at my doorstep um, without knowing where I stay, asking um, if we could assist him with a, a taxi fare home because he didn't make enough. Um, enough money to take to, to take the taxi home that day and um, I think that's when I was like yo we need to, we need to escalate like this this idea that I've had and we need to put it out there somewhere and um, and my husband actually came up with the idea he said why not use the backer buddy platform you know which is perfect for it um, so yeah he, he showed up and then I was like okay <laughs> this is meant to be I need to help this man or at least yeah. step into nice so, so what are the stories you hear from people in the area and what are the stories that when people started sponsoring your backer buddy campaign um, what, what do they say about this gentleman it's actually funny how it started so before i opened the backer buddy page because there's quite a bit of admin hoops to jump through you know you need to have a bank account need his id i didn't even know whether he had any of those things 
So, um, so I posted, we've got a WhatsApp group, a Blurbig Stranders or Blurbig Friends WhatsApp group. And I just said, does anyone know George? And would you guys be interested, you know, because I thought maybe no one like even knows his story or whatever. Um, maybe no one's going to be interested. <laughs> you know, you never know with these things. And then the response on the group was amazing. People saying like how he's handed out ice creams to his children when they didn't have cash on them. Or um, one of the ladies actually said, you know, it's such a worthy cause. Um, the one day they helped him to push his trolley up the hill and he, he gave them free ice creams. Um, so it's just, it's been amazing. Also, one lady said, um, and she and her dad just before dad passed away like one of the last best memories she had was like when they sat at aunt hacy restaurant just outside on the benches and they bought an ice cream from him you know so all these fond memories and people say like everyone just says how humble down to earth just his nature everything about him is such a kind loving person you know and just seems so content <laughs> so um how much money what was your how much did you want to raise and how, how, how far did you get to, to, to raise that, um, your target? Okay, so the initial target was 50000 and um, we reached, I think before all of the press, about thirty uh, no, 23000 which was almost halfway. And then when the story started going onto the news platforms, we actually were, I think we're just over 70000 now. Wow, so you overreached. It's fantastic. Overreached, and it's amazing just to see the response of people reading the story and how flabbergasted they are with the kindness of everyone. So it's just a, a really uplifting story, and I think people are blown away by how people are actually wanting to help one another, you know, and yeah. Yeah, it's a love. It's a lovely Ubuntu story. So, will you keep going? How does it work? Will it will just keep on going, or is there a cutoff date? Um, so it can actually just keep on going. Um, usually, um, I've spoken to one of the people at the Backer Buddy um fundraiser, and they said that normally once the targets reach, you know, it's it's it stops. But it it just seems like with the story, it's been actually um gathering more and more funds. So it seems like it will keep on going. And um, I've spoken to George and Babal Wise Halper, and she's translated to him that we would love to rather than pay out, because they pay out the 10th of every month, the funds mm -hmm. that's um, raised from the previous month. So, well, tell us, uh, tell us about Babalwa. What is her role? So, Babalwa's basically been assisting um, George, uh, just helping to push the trolley also. She's been a huge help in translating um, a lot of um, what George has been saying. So she's a, uh, she's a bit more, uh, a bit better in the English language than George because he's Tulsa. And um, she's just been amazing helping to translate. And yeah, and, and she's just been there for him, helping him. <laughs> has he indicated what he wants to do with the money? He has. So apparently he's been... Uh, adding some walls and furniture to his home. And he also indicated that he would love people to, he's inviting everyone to come and visit his home once he's done with it. So, so that's quite special. Um, so they've used some of the funds for the house, for the house. And we haven't been there yet, but we, we definitely want to do a follow up and go visit and, and share it with the rest of South Africa. But is he planning to keep on going? If you keep like on us, selling ice creams, he's planning uh, to keep on going. You know, um, it's it's what he's been doing for for over four decades. It's what he he knows, and it it, it keeps him going, I guess. You know, but um, at least there's that extra buffer now for him, that extra little bit of money that he doesn't have to feel. Okay, I need to need to sell all of this to to be able to you know make ends meet for the end of the month. And he's in his seventies. He's in his seventies. How amazing is that? <laughs> So how does how does he travel from Kailicha? Does he? So they do take the a taxi and then a my city bus as well um, to get to uh, Big Bay. So it's quite a trip. Yes, it's quite oh, a, it's a trip. lovely story. It's, it's a lovely story, Michelle. It's not not a nice thing for you to do. Yeah, it's one of those lovely South African stories. Thing. Yes, definitely. I think it wouldn't have been possible without everyone's help. So it's I'm just so grateful to see how every. Blurberg Strand and South African has stepped up and just helped George, you know. It's a synonym with how not one person can make a change, but when we stand together, we can really make a big difference. 
Thanks, Michelle. Now, um, who started a fundraising campaign for a Bloberg ice cream salon. Well, thank you for being with us today. We look forward to being back in your company tomorrow. Same time, same place. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.